Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm gonna send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. Today's interview is with none other than the David Allen, the creator of the GTD Productivity System. One of the more common questions that I'm asked is how in the world do you balance so many different projects at once and raise a family? In this episode, I give away my secret weapon and the foundation of my entire productivity system, which is getting things done. In my never-ending quest to eliminate as much busy work from my life as possible and take clear action towards my goals, I have spent years navigating the world of productivity and learning everything that I can, hence my obsession with the program Trello. There are so many tools, apps and websites, and resources to help organize your to-do lists, but the fatal flaw of every single one of these tools is that they are just that, tools. If you are truly interested in learning how to not only get more things done, but also ensure that you're getting the right things done, you need more than a shiny tool or a fancy to-do list app, you need a system. And in my opinion, the system that's going to help you clarify your goals, organize your next actions, and most importantly, clear the cobwebs in your head so you free up space to be creative again, that system is the GTD system developed by productivity Zen master David Allen. Whether your tool of choice is Trello, OmniFocus, or heck, even Post-it Notes, GTD can help alleviate tremendous amounts of stress and anxiety, help you avoid the never-ending busy work, and get you on track to accomplish your life's work. And now, without further ado, my interview with David Allen. I'm here today with the David Allen. And if you are not in the productivity space, you probably are not familiar with who David Allen is. But if you are, David Allen is the mastermind of this thing that I talk about all the time called the GTD system or getting things done. So David, it is beyond a tremendous pleasure to have you on the other end of my microphone today. <laughs> Zach, delighted to be here. Thanks. I talk a lot about martial arts in this show, and I've had a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu master on in the past. I talk about this philosophy of trying to be Zen-like, and you've taken that approach to productivity. And I feel that that's a really important thing to really talk about because we could really get into the weeds and the nuts and bolts right away. And let's talk about the flow chart of GTD and all these things. But to me, the why is so much more important. So where I want to start today is you talking more about why the system was developed and how you've kind of created this entire culture around it. And where I want to start is a very specific quote from your book and how it relates to productivity and martial arts. And that is the idea that your ability to generate power is directly proportional to your ability to relax. 
So let's start there and get a sense of why you developed this and why it's become the phenomenon that it has in the productivity world. Well, there's a very long story and we only have an hour. You know, I could fill up 20 hours with the story behind all this, but let me see if I can compact it a little bit for, for you and the folks listening. I had a good bit of experience in the martial arts after I dropped out of graduate school. I wanted to find my own enlightenment instead of just studying people who had theirs. So that was one path. I'd been interested in Zen since I was in high school. I'd read Suzuki and Alan Watts and all of that. And I loved the aesthetic and the idea and the, it just, there was something about it that was really cool. Uh, when a friend offered to teach me karate, I wasn't interested in the sort of macho you know, aspect of it. I was more interested in the philosophical, spiritual aspects of it. How does something that physical you know, relate to that? So you know, I spent four or five years getting a black belt. Uh, and in the process, Discovering, you know, a clear a clear head was actually a, a key component to that. I mean, the high levels of the martial arts, you know, there's usually a number of meditative kind of practices. They, there may be a spiritual component, but there's a very practical component. If four people jump you in a dark alley, you don't want 2,000 unprocessed emails hanging somewhere in your psyche. You know, you need to be clear. And so the, the whole idea about clear space and having a clear head, I use the image, as you, as you know, mind like water that, that Bruce Lee sort of made famous from his sensei. You know, that, hey, look, a clear head allows you to then respond appropriately. An appropriate response really is then wound, wound up becoming, I mean, who knew? I didn't know it back in the late 60s, early 70s when I was doing this. Uh, but that, that has become essentially the key element of this whole methodology is being appropriately engaged with your world. So you don't overreact. You don't underreact. You appropriately engage with it. Uh, so that, you know, if you're taking work to home or home to work, you're not in mind like water. You know, uh, and if you think you're trying to watch your daughter play soccer, but you're on your iPhone, you're not in mind like water. I mean, come on, you're not you're not present. So the whole idea of be, about being present was something I started to get attracted to, and then I, you know, wound up just for hook and crook, uh, creating my own little consulting practice. And then I was interested as my life got more complex, more mature, you know, uh, up in the professional world. I discovered how easy that was to screw up mind like water. <laughs> you know, you start to make more commitments. It doesn't get easier, folks. I'm sure many of you listening would know that as you got, as you grew older, it didn't get easier. You got more complex. You got more ambiguous. You got more ambitious. You got you created more of your own stuff you needed to handle and manage. And so the I, the whole idea then of being able to sort of surf on top of that game was something I was very very attracted to find what could work for me. And then as I uncovered these techniques and these best practices, I turned around and used them with my clients. It turned out that it, they produced exactly the same result. You applied these principles, it created more space in your head, more ability to be meaningfully focused, more ability to have room for creativity, more ability to think strategically about what you were doing, without exception, zero exception. But I didn't know what I'd actually learned. I, I was not wasn't really engaged in the corporate world at all in terms of the training about all these kinds of things. And I'd never, I've never had a, a traditional business or psychology course in my life. A lot of non-traditional <laughs> training and experience, you know, in that whole personal growth game back in the 70s. And, you know, I was in, I dropped out of graduate school in Berkeley in 1968. So you can imagine, as they say, if you remember being in Berkeley in 68, you probably weren't there. So it was heady times where a lot of that stuff was kind of going on. And I was experimenting, exploring a lot of that. And then finding out, oh, wait a minute. How can I somehow be in this world, but not of it? And what are those techniques I can use? And I started to use those with people. I went, wow, these things really work, but they don't show up automatically. You actually have to get yourself to sort of apply your cognitive ammunition to these things to make the right decisions about stuff. And you actually have to then engage in building what the cognitive scientists now refer to as the external brain. I need to build these outside my head. And a lot of that started to be just developed over time. And then, you know, to make a very long story very short, it took me 25 years to figure out what I'd figured out and that it was unique and nobody else seemed to have figured this out and that it was bulletproof. So I said, let me write the manual. So that's when I wrote Getting Things Done in 2001. And then that sort of became a global brand almost out from under me. I didn't even plan on doing that, but GTD sort of hooked on, especially to the tech community and sort of spread around the world. So... Now, you know, me and my small little company are trying to figure out how to 
you know, handle the, the fact that this is a worldwide phenomenon and how we leverage that so to get these best practices to as many people as want it. Well, I think that one of the key points here that really stands out for me is you saying that I don't have formal training in the corporate world. I didn't learn business speak. I don't have an MBA. That to me is so important because you're looking at all of these things from an outside perspective because if we just continue approaching the world the way that we've been taught for the last 40 or 50 years, we don't know how to process it anymore because the world is so fundamentally different on so many different levels. On a neural level, our world is different than it was 20 or 30 years ago. So from just from an evolutionary and a genetic perspective, the human brain doesn't know how to process the world that we live in. We, it's going to take us hundreds of years to catch up to it. Well, the new research is the human brain evolved over, you know, hundreds, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years to basically handle four things that you couldn't handle in the moment. That's about it. They used to think it was seven things back in the study in 1959 your short-term memory could hang on to and still relate to it well seven plus or minus two now it's four that's about it so that's how your brain evolved to do very 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 brilliant things you know everybody listening to this your brain is currently recognizing things like computers and files and, and chairs and people and lights and whatever as opposed to just vibrations of light and sound because what your brain evolved to do was to take long-term history and pattern recognition and you say, based upon my history, that's a light. <laughs> based upon long-term history, that's a table, and that's a person, and whatever. And you do that brilliantly. Computers are barely even starting to even start to be able to do that a little bit. And yet, you go to the store for lemons, and you get six things and no lemons. So your brain is screwed in terms of its ability to remember or remind, and it's an absolutely crappy office. And everybody's out there trying to use their brain as an office to try to remember, remind, create relationships between things, try to set priorities, and it absolutely sucks. It does not do that. <laughs> so the, the cognitive scientists, actually, since I wrote the first edition of my book, the cognitive science has now proven what I learned on the street out there, which was your head's absolutely the worst place to hang on to any of this stuff. Yeah, and that's really what the human brain is all about is the opposite. It's not about carrying information. Your brain is not a filing cabinet. Your brain is a place to spark ideas. Like it's all about being creative, which is the heart of everything that I'm trying to build. And whether it's using movement, whether it's using diet, whatever it is, it's all about how do I fuel my brain to maximize creativity? And one of the worst possible ways to do that is to fill it with with tons and tons of information, whether it's all in the moment or whether it's things that need to be done tomorrow or things I need to do in a week, that's not allowing you any space to be creative. The problem is, as you say, when you load that stuff into your head, that part of your head that's hanging onto that doesn't seem to have any sense of past or future. So that means that some part of you psychologically thinks you should be doing all of that all the time. You need to be buying cat food. You need to be getting a life. You need to be writing a business plan. You need to be finishing that editing. You need to, you know, and all of that, it, it, it feels like you should be doing it all the time when it's only managed internally inside your head. And that's, that's the big mistake out there. Yeah, and that's the thing that I talk about a lot is this idea of working harder versus working smarter. That's a very common theme in a lot of the blog posts that I do about everything, but especially when I focus on productivity, is that we're so consumed by busy work. And the next thing that has to be addressed that's urgent, I must take care of this. But we lose sense of what's important versus what's urgent. And we just spin our wheels. And basically, we have no time to do our life's work because all we're doing is busy work. Yeah, and but the thing is you can't get rid of the busy – you can't ignore the busy work, but you need to appropriately engage with it. So when there's six things you need from the hardware store, you don't need – don't make six trips to the hardware store. Jiminy Christmas, create a list of stuff that the next time you go out where you might go buy the hardware store, you can get all those six things. So you still need to get those six things from the hardware store. They're not the most strategic things in your life, but you still need the light bulb. You still need the batteries. You still need, you know, whatever that stuff is. You just need to make sure that you've externalized that, that you've organized it in appropriate places. So your brain's not distracted by any of that. And you also can be highly efficient in terms of just how you move around, you know, on the planet. And, and what you're doing where and when. Yeah, and I th this is a, obviously an example that anybody's going to react to and say, well, yeah, of course. Like, I'm not going to run to the store six times and buy six things. I make a list and do it all at once. Like, that's called batch processing. But when you look at all of the things that we need to do now in our daily lives and all of the notifications that we're getting and all the incoming information, we're not applying that to the way that we process our entire life, even though we might be doing it with our grocery list. So now I want to start getting into the weeds a little bit and – give people the system. So if they say, I want to get all this junk 
out of my brain and I want to get back to focusing on the things that do allow me to be creative and also allow me to do the important work in my life. Where the heck do I start? I'm so overwhelmed. Like, just just tell me what to do. Give me the steps. Paint by numbers. Let's do it. Right. Step one, get a pen you like to write with. Step two, get a big pile of just printer paper, just plain old letter size paper. Get an in basket. If you don't have one, an in tray, a physical space or spot that you can throw stuff. Then sit down, give yourself one to six hours to unload every single thing, one per piece of paper that's on your mind. I need cat food, write it down, throw that paper in your in basket. Uh, I need to call Bill Smith about XYZ, write that down, throw it in the paper. I need to update my insurance stuff, write that down, throw it in the paper. God, my 401k, I don't know what the hell is going on with that, write that down, throw it in the paper. Uh, I need to I need to potentially research uh, putting my paper on the street, getting a new resume, write that down, et cetera, et cetera. That will take, if you actually did that with integrity, uh, it would take you one to six hours just to capture the things that are pulling on your psyche you've loaded in there that you haven't tracked somewhere else. So that's, that's step one, right? Now that, that in and of itself will be transformational for most people if you actually paid attention to this and you actually followed those directions. I cannot overemphasize how important this step is. If anybody out there listening is like, you know, I've wanted to lose five pounds for a while, this is how you do it. You just spend a day, you get all this stuff off your head and the scale may not tell you you've lost five pounds, but your body and your brain are going to feel so much lighter. And this is a, a process that I forced myself to do a couple of years ago and I did it right before the Christmas holiday. So I didn't have any other distractions other than, you know, just like family stuff. But I didn't have lots of notifications. I didn't have a lot of work. And I said, my only focus right now is eliminating everything that's in my brain and just do it. It's, you know, another common word for this is a brain dump. I just did a giant brain dump and put it all on a pile. And just that alone, without doing anything else, was transformational. I've actually had people lose three or four pounds in two days just by coaching them. Simply, <laughs> literally, quite physically yeah, doing it's, that. It's amazing so, how liberating it is. Yeah. So then, but that's, that's step one, but you can't just leave it there. If you leave it there, now you're a pile maker or a list maker. So you actually then need to empty that pile and get it cleaned up. Just like you empty your mailbox, just like you should empty your email or whatever. And then you take all those things one at a time and you put it through step two, which is basically a, a thought process you need to apply to these things. Why did I keep this? Why didn't I throw this away to begin with? Oh, because it's potentially meaningful. There might be something I might need to do or decide about cat food or about the business plan or about my editing or, you know, or whatever, or about Christmas, right? So then, then you need to go through the thought process, which is basically clarify step, step two. Is it actionable, yes or no? If not, you trash it, you tickle it, you file it. If it is actionable, decide what's the very next action on this I need to take. Very, very, very next physical thing. If I had nothing else to do in my life but handle Christmas or to handle the business plan or to handle cat food, you know, what's the next step? And by the way, will one step handle this? And if not, you then need to track what's the outcome I've committed to. What's the project here? I need to up submit the edit. I need to finalize the business plan. I need to handle mom's vacation. I need to, you know, deal with Christmas and get that under cruise control. You know, so once I've decided those two things, action and outcome, then I need to move to step three. Now I need to organize reminders of those things. So where do I put all the projects I have, like handle Christmas or handle mom's birthday or, or finalize the business plan or finish the edit? And you need a project list. And so you need to then park reminders of these commitments that you've got at these levels. Now you've defined more discreetly what your work is, park those in appropriate places. So that's the organized step, step three. Okay, if it's reference, it goes where reference goes. If it's trash, it goes in the trash. If it's an action, where do I put a reminder of that action? That could be stuff to buy at the hardware store. It could be stuff to talk to your boss about. It could be stuff to talk to your life partner about. Just park those appropriately. So then that's step three. Once you've done that, then you need to make sure you use your external brain appropriately. So when you're talking to your life partner, you glance at the stuff you said you need to talk to him or her about. And the stuff you, when you go into the hardware store, you need to pull up the list and go, okay, here's all the six things I need. 
Or you look at your calendar, which is also a list, and you know, for the next week, you say, "Oh my God, okay, here's what I better block some time with, given what's showing up on my, you know, in my day and time here." So that's then the review process, which is step four. So now I've, I've captured this stuff. I've clarified exactly what needs to be done about it, what I need to be reminded about. I've now parked those in a trusted place. I, I also then have that habit and I have the practice of looking at the right things at the right time. I don't need to look at everything in my list. I just need to look at what I could do where I am, what I need to look at right now to know that I've located myself in space and time appropriately. And then step five, you make a good decision about how do I put my attention or my activity right now? You know, do I take a nap? Do I have a beer? Do I, do I, do I make this phone call or whatever? So in a way, it's a simple thing. That's how you, that's how you get your kitchen under control is you recognize, you walk in, it looks like it's exploded, but you got guests coming over. So the first thing you do is you notice what's off, right? That's the capture step. Then you clarify, oh, that's a dirty dish. That's a clean dish. That's good food. That's bad food. Then you organize. You put the clean dishes where they go. You put the dirty dishes in the dishwasher. You put the good food in the fridge. Then you reflect. Okay, guests are coming over. They got 45 minutes. Here's what I want to cook. Oh, okay. Let me pull out the butter. Step five, and you melt butter. So I didn't make this up. I just identified what we actually do to get your kitchen or your consciousness under control. It's just consciousness is a little more complex than your kitchen. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. Well, you had said a little bit earlier, you said it's actually pretty simple. And I agree with you, but there's a gigantic chasm between simple and easy. So I want to walk people through a little bit more in depth step by step, because I think that the first part, which is just the brain dump, creating your giant inbox and getting it out of your head, that's really liberating. But I know that I've gone through the next step and I've talked to other people that have gone through this and they say, I do all this and I feel great. And then I look at the inbox that has 243 pieces of paper and I start to freak out because now I've externalized this giant cobweb that I had in my brain and now I need to process. It. So now that we kind of have the general overview, I want to break down step by step how we can simplify this. So the first step that when you have this giant inbox, like you said, is processing it. And one thing that I want to talk about is this kind of idea of the two minute rule. So can you go into that a little bit? Well, the two minute rule only comes into play while you're doing the clarify step. What's the next action on this? And if the next action, once you decide the very next step on something, if you can, if you can where you are in the context you're in, if you can actually complete that action in two minutes, you should do it right then because it would take you actually longer to track it, to organize it and review it than it would be to finish it. 
So in a high email environment, most people's actionable emails, 30, 40% of them, you could actually handle in, in two minutes or less in terms of getting it out of there, answering the thing, moving it forward to somebody who needs to see it or whatever, as long as you made the decision about, well, that's what's next. You know, that's the next thing to do. So the two minute rule is great. It'll give you an extra six months to your life if you start to, if you don't have that as a habit already. Yeah, that's a really good point. And to kind of bring this back out into the more general before you go into the weeds again, that's something that I'll, what, what I'll use as an example when people say, yeah, but that takes time. Like I don't have six hours to do inbox processing and do a brain dump. I've got too much stuff to do. And the analogy I say to them is imagine if I were a bank and I said to you, listen, you give me $100 today and in a week, I'm gonna give you $500. Nobody's gonna turn that down. They're gonna say, well, duh, that's a no-brainer. It's the same thing with your time. You're putting in this specific amount of time, so let's say it's 100 minutes to do your brain dump, but within a week and maybe less, and then over the course of weeks, months, and a couple of years, the return on your investment with not only time but quality of life is so immense that it just cannot be overstated enough. Well said. So to go back into the weeds now, when you're talking about email and this idea of the two-minute rule, I actually recently did an entire hour-long podcast with Zach Sexton of the uh, Asian Efficiency, who I know that you've done a show with as well. And he's actually kind of the, he's the enabler of GTD. He's where I discovered it in the first place. So, you know, when, when you're talking specifically about email and the two minute rule, that's a really good example of, all right, I've got a hundred emails in my inbox right now. And most people think, well, I just need to process them chronologically. So I'm just going to go from newest to oldest. And this one, oh, okay, this person needs this. Thing. Okay. This is going to take me 25 minutes to do. So I'm going to do it. Then you get back to your inbox. Well, I got to do this and do that and do that. If you start to employ that two minute rule and also this idea of touch it once, which is something that also comes from the Asian efficiency philosophy, which is if you read it and you're like, well, I can do this in less than two minutes. Why would I run this through my entire GTD processing system and put it in a project and assign it a context. And we'll go into more about what that means in a little bit. But if you can just do it in two minutes, get it out of your life. Like don't process it at all other than just actually acting on it. And if there's five or 10 things that take two minutes, take those 15 or 20 minutes cumulatively and that stuff is done and out of your life forever. Yeah, and people often misunderstand. They think, well, gee, David, if I did that, I'd spend up my whole day doing two minute things. I say, no, you should never have had those show up to be, you know, pile up to begin with. You only do this, you only do this when you're processing new input. You know, so if I, I, I can stop processing my email and go do real work. I now need to go edit this thing. Right. So you just, you know, unhook from email and you go edit that thing. But it's when you're dealing with new input and making those decisions. Touch it once is actually a hoax. You don't touch it once. You touch once the things that you can do in two minutes that you're ever going to, that you know that you need to do it sometime anyway. Yes, indeed. But a lot of things you're going to touch multiple times because you need to keep reassessing whether to do it and not given all the other things in your life. Which is why if it's going to take less than two minutes, don't touch it 12 times. Don't run it through an entire process because that process takes five times longer than it would be to just do it. So now that we've kind of talked about this idea, like we had this whole pile of papers, whether it's physical and you've actually done it on paper or you've done a digital version. And I want to dive a little bit deeper kind of into the, the tech and ways that I do this and ideas that you suggest as well. Um, but whether you've done this in a digital fashion or a physical fashion, you have all this stuff in front of you. You've looked at the things that, all right, these just take me a couple of minutes. Like I'm going to get them out of my life. But now we have to start building them and assigning them projects. If these are things that are groups of actions that need to be done or they kind of belong to a specific project, how do we start to break down how to organize them? Because you can go crazy with projects and have a hundred of them by the time you're done with this if you don't do it properly. Well, no, most people have between 30 and 100. So you have as many as you have, given our broad definition that a project is anything that takes more than one action to complete. You know, if you can finish something in one sitting, you don't need to call it a project. But if that's going to take, I need to call them and then they need to get back to me and then I need to fill out a form and then I need to send that and then I need to get a confirmation or whatever, you've got a project whether that's getting your watch fixed or getting your business plan launched. You know, so it, it, the, all of those need to be tracked and, and handled. And, you know, people get mad at me for their list. I go, excuse me, <laughs> ain't my list. You know, that's yours. You have to decide where you want to track that. So this is not creating anything new. It's just, ex it's just making explicit what those internal commitments are. So you actually have a real game plan 
that can sit outside of you that you, you can navigate. All right, well, then let's talk about that game plan. Let's say that somebody has gone through and they've created 75 projects based on their actions. They're like, all right, I need to make sure that I, like using one of your examples, I need to check on my car insurance and do this or that, and that's going to take three specific steps. So now we have 75 projects that have multiple steps in each. Now what do I do? Because again, I'm starting to feel really, really overwhelmed because I have all this stuff in front of me. Where do I go now? Well, you go to India and get a rice bowl in a cave. As, as I'm sure many people are doing given the, <laughs> the political climate that we live in, but I'm not going to go there. Um, but you know, how, how do people avoid the overwhelm? Because when you first start the GTD system, it can be overwhelming and it's easy to just say, ah, oh, this is too hard. I'm going to go back to the old way. So there's a bit of a learning curve and there's an investment in the beginning. The payoff, like I've already talked about, is, is immense. But how do we get them over these little humps as they're learning this process? Well, you just got to identify all those things that are really there. I need to handle my next vacation. I need to handle you know, my car insurance. I need to get a dog or I need to research getting a dog. I need to look into whether my kids should take a karate class or not. I need to look into whether I actually want to learn Spanish or not. I'm, you know, yada, yada, yada. So as long as you get honest with yourself and you start to just identify these things that you've got rolling around internally inside of your commitments, get that list out of there. In other words, get them out. Get them out in front of you because you're going to have an option, as you know, there's an option to have a someday maybe list, in which case you say, wait a minute, eh, learn Spanish. Mm, maybe not now, but you know, it might be a cool thing to do, but I want to keep track of that. So making then good executive decisions about your life, that's what this is going to start to entail. So yes. You need to identify what all of these things are. By the way, if you haven't got them all, there's a part of you that will never totally 100% trust whatever you're doing because you're going to go, wait a minute, there's something back in there, something lurking in the corners in the dark you know, edges of my universe that I think I've committed to, but I forgot what it was, but it might be more important than what I'm doing. Oh my God. So then you allow yourself to get sucked into the busy trap and the distractions of life, you know, simply because you know there's stuff you, and, and you don't know where it is. But you don't want to, you know, you don't know what the algorithm is about how to identify it and capture it and get it out of your head. So you just get run around by life. And that's welcome to what most people are doing. Yeah. And that's that for me, it's I remember for years I dealt with just this intense anxiety and this physical pit in my stomach. So it's not some metaphorical idea. It was a physical manifestation in my body of, well, I just have all these things to do and I don't know what I should be doing right now. And um, I like I have re, I, or I had I've been able to manage them now, but have massive attention issues and have been diagnosed with adult ADD. So this is like a game changer for me. But I remember that physical feeling of just always thinking, I, I'm sure there's something else I should be doing right now. Oh, it's probably this, so I'm going to do that. Oh, it's this, so I should do this. And you get run around by the shiny object syndrome. And once you start to lay everything out in front of you, you get a sense of priority and you actually kind of already went somewhat to where I was going to go next, which is this idea of prioritizing your projects and saying, well, there are things that I want to do, but am I really going to do these in the next week or even the next month? Or is it something that I want to do someday? So that someday maybe list was a revelation for me because I was holding on to all these things that I felt like I had to do. Like, for example, I want to learn to play the piano. Well, is that something that I want to do someday? Is that something I'm really ever going to act on? Or is that something that needs to be in my priority list? And it sat in my someday maybe list for over a year. But because during my review process, I always read through it at least once a month, all of a sudden I said, you know what? I'm going to act on it. And now for the last year, I've been taking piano lessons every week because I was able to prioritize where it fit into my life. So do you have any other strategies that we can talk about? <laughs> Wait a minute. It was that, that, just that. Just that could be life-changing. You know, I don't know if you know, but the majority of the Simpson writers are big fans of my stuff, and I won't name him. But one of the guys I interviewed him, and he said, look, David, he said, I, I'm so undisciplined. I don't do hardly any of your methodology except once a year I sit down and do a huge brain dump about all my someday maybes and all this other things. He said, it absolutely saved my life. So just that in and of itself allowed him a lot more creative space to be able to have an idea and not feel like he was committed to have to move on. And that, that's hugely important is knowing that this is not a system where if there are 12 steps and you miss step seven, it falls apart. You really can just extract what makes the most sense for you and still get tremendous, tremendous benefit. Huge. So yeah, so I, I definitely agree with that. Um, the next area that I wanna go to help people really start to discern what needs to be done, what doesn't, and how to organize it properly, kind of going back to this idea of creating the list for the hardware store, is 
the idea of contexts, because as I'm sure you would probably attest to, this is the one where a lot of people kind of get stuck. And they're like, I don't really understand what is a context? How do I apply it? How do I organize it? And I know that with the advent of so many different technologies, you've kind of had to evolve your definition of what contexts are. So can you kind of give a basic idea of what a context is and then how to use them to process your information more efficiently? Let me do a little history, Zach, on this, because that'll, I think it make a lot of more sense. First of all, the data is most people listening to this have between 100 and 200 next actions on all of their current commitments. And that includes stuff to talk to your life partner about, stuff to buy at the hardware store, uh, things you need to do at your computer, phone calls you need to make, etc. So if you add all that up, that's a lot of stuff. So then we say, well, you could put all that on one list. You know, I, I have one huge gargantuan list, you know, and I need to buy this size nail. I need to talk to my life partner about our next holiday. I need to talk to my boss about this. You can stick all that on one list, but that would be, that'd be really overwhelming if you looked at that. So I said, well, wait a minute, how can I add a little bit more complexity to add some simplicity? And what that would look like would be, well, let me group all my phone calls of all the calls I need to make. And let me group all the stuff I need to talk to my partner about on that list. And let me group all the things I need from the hardware store on that post-it or on that list. So you'll start to see that when you add a little more complexity, it adds a little more simplicity given the, the complexity of our lives. So that there is a principle there that, that is at play where you need, you need to add some complexity to your system to be able to make a complex thing more simple. Now, the history of this was in, in the old days, back before people listening to this were probably born, I, I used to teach this stuff with, I was using a paper planner. We were teaching seminars about this and I had even splitting out the stuff you had to do on a day that your calendar stuff versus all the other things to do as soon as you could, as opposed to having a daily to-do list. No, no, no. Pull off all the other actions you need to do as soon as you can do them against the things you absolutely have to do on Monday. So that was a big dynamic change from just from that, that I sort of uncovered and, and publicized back in the early 1980s. And the, but then I had a friend of mine who said, hey, David, this is kind of cool. Oh, first of all, the, the, the mobile phone showed up. Now, when they first showed up, you know, they, they, you had to hook them onto your belt and they, they made you lopsided because they weighed about six pounds. I don't know. But when they first showed up, then I went, well, because I, I used to have then a list of all my actions and then all my calendar stuff. And I didn't have to rewrite the actions list. But then I started to see, well, now I have a phone with me because there are a lot of places that all I could do would be make calls. So it might make sense to make a separate list. Let me make a separate list called calls. And that was hugely productive because then when I was out and about, I had this mobile phone with me. I could actually do work, but the only work I could do was make calls. I didn't have to look through, you know, 100 things to find the phone calls. I had them all grouped together. So all I had to do was look at that page and then crank through a bunch of stuff and be highly productive in a window of 20 minutes that I had before a client was late for a meeting. So I went, that's pretty cool. Then I had another friend, friend of mine who who'd semi-retired. He had a he had a sailboat uh, up in Maine, and and he lived in Boston, and he went through a seminar of mine. And he said, "Wow, David, I just realized there are a lot of things I need to do on my boat, but only when I'm there. I don't need to remind myself there because they're things I love to do when I'm on my boat." So he created a third list. Not only did he have a calls list and action list, but then he had an at boat list. And I went, "Whoa, that's really cool." Now, again, that was with, we were back in paper planners then. But then when the Palm showed up and the digital list manager showed up, I thought, wow, that's pretty easy to create a whole lot of separate lists and actually move things around. You know, I could have something on a waiting for list. And then when I got it back and I needed to then make a call about it, I could just drag it over or change the category to calls. Wow, isn't that cool? So when the digital world showed up, we said, wow, now we have the capability to actually get a bit more discreet about all these different contexts. And so if you knew the methodology, then giving yourself the freedom to be able to then organize these reminders in, uh, you know, it became pretty elegant. And people could start out with some basic ideas here. You know, here's all the things I need to do when I have a phone. Here's all the things I need to do when I'm at home. Here's the things to do at the office. Here's the things to do when I'm in, out for errands. So there were some basic contexts that pretty much everybody could sort of relate to. But I don't think I've ever met any person who'd been in the, into the GTD system for a couple of years that didn't have their own unique 
customized version of all that. And I think that's one of the areas where some people get stuck is that it's not plug and play. Like everybody understands how to put items and to-do lists together. Like everybody can write out 50 things that I need to do in the next month. And anybody can organize those into projects, but there isn't a one size fits all for context. And I feel like that's where a lot of people get stuck is they say, well, I see this person's context list, but I can't use any of those. They don't make sense for my life. So it's hard when you kind of don't have that paint by numbers approach, but context where the difference for me between just having a new way to organize a bunch of project lists because I already had project lists and I had to-do lists and I didn't know how to organize them and they were overwhelming. But I still, I mean, everybody's kind of familiar with that basic idea. Contexts were the revelation that completely changed the way that I do everything. Because right now I'm, and we'll talk a little bit more about the, the tech if we have time, but I'm in OmniFocus right now. So OmniFocus is a program that I've talked about a little bit on the show in the past, which is how I manage my to-do lists and manage the GTD system. And I currently have 316 to-dos. So those are actions that are current, not even part of a someday maybe list, organized into 38 active projects. If I were to look at that every morning, my brain would explode. I, there's no way I could process it, but when I have the context and I just press a little button and say, my context is here are the people I need to reach out to this morning. So I'll do it live as we're here. I click on reach out. Oh, my list went from 316 to two. Now it's like, well, I can do two things. That's easy. All right. Well, I finished reaching out. Now let's see, what do I have that I want to do around the house? Bam. I look at around the house. Oh, I've got nothing to do today, but I have probably 15 actions that I have flagged to show up in my around the house context on Saturday morning. I have no idea what they are. Like that's one of the liberating things for me is that I have all these things to do. But if you ask me, what do I need to do this morning? I'd be like, I have no idea what I need to do. My system's going to tell me, but that weight has been lifted and it just reduces so much anxiety. Also, I'm not going to go too far down this rabbit hole, but it also immensely improves the quality of your sleep. The context that I want people to hear about that is the biggest game changer of all of them, and this is the one that I feel everybody, once they adopt it, will think, okay, I can get behind this. That's the low energy context. Can you talk a little bit about that idea? Sure. Well, there's... You know, we all have different forms and different amounts of and types of energy during any 24-hour period. So there's certain times when you should not be making an important phone call to an important person because you're not you're not there. <laughs> you know, you've been in you've been in five meetings, beat up in four of them, and you're absolutely toast. You know, the best thing you you could do then is water your plants or fill your stapler. You know, because you're going to have to do those at some point anyway. So when your brain is toast, do brain toasty things like that, that you're going to have to do anyway. So organizing things oftentimes by how much energy is required or how much time is required. I've probably seen 25 or 30 or 40 different contexts people have used. People have used, hey, when I'm brain dead, here's what I do. And they actually organize that way. Here's all the things that required very little mental energy. And so when I have very little mental energy, let me still be productive and do that. So as opposed to, you know, play chess or go or, or solitaire on my computer, let me go, you know, turn this screw and turn that screw and just do some dumb, dummy kind of things, but still get that stuff done. So yeah. that certainly can be, you know, a way to categorize these. But again, there's no right or wrong way to do that. Some people find that useful. Some people find, hey, you know, I've, I've even got a category in, in my system of creative writing. I used to have only one category of called at computer. And a lot of my creative writing stuff uh, tasks that I need to do or might want to do would be on that at computer list. But then I'd look at that at computer list and there'd be so many things. A lot of that just be the day-to-day -day business stuff that I needed to do with the computer. But it included, because it included those things that required a lot of, you know, creative mental energy, I tend to avoid the whole list. Then as soon as I split it out and I said, hey, here's creative writing projects at the computer. So I could see those in their own category. So when I was in the frame of mind where I actually had the time and space and mental energy to do those, that was cool. And it also took the pressure off the other list so I could just crank that stuff out when I didn't need to have a lot of creative energy available to me. So hopefully that wasn't too sophisticated for people listening to this, but that's, that's you know, what you're getting at. There, there are, could be a lot of ways that make, make a difference about how you remind yourself what map do you need to see to orient yourself given where you are. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. 
and I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day, and that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. And again, this just goes back to this idea of running to the grocery store six times for six items. If you organize your day like that, you're going to get less done and you're going to be more exhausted. And if you manage your energy that way, the same thing is going to happen. And probably one of the most common questions that people ask me when I'm speaking or if I'm you know, on Facebook or whatever it is, they're like, how in the world are you managing all of these things and getting seven hours of sleep every night? It's because I'm managing my energy the same way that I would manage a grocery list. So it's funny that you brought up the, the writing context because I have the same thing. And what I've done is I've kind of almost separated my context into specifically context like we've talked about, but then I have mindsets. So one of my mindsets is I'm in a creative writing space and I'm writing a blog or, you know, we'll use that one as an example. So when I click on that context and OmniFocus, the only thing that I'll see is outline current blog post about X. And then the next step is you know, write first draft of blog post about X, everything else goes away. And it just, again, it's a sense of relief. Like, all right, I'm in a creative writing mindset right now. These are the things that need to be done in that mindset. And then conversely, like just for example, yesterday, I was just totally worn out at like five or 6 PM. And I had a, a fairly sizable list of high energy tasks. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just not doing these today. Clicked on low energy context and I got a bunch of stuff done even though I was just kind of sitting there and tired. I'd got some bills paid and I took care of a couple of glitches that I had on my website. These are things that I kept putting off thinking, you know what, they're not urgent, but I'm gonna do them. I just need to wait until my energy is lower and bam, they all got done and it required no energy because that's where I put them and organize them. Yeah, cool. So where I want to go now is this idea of the review process. We've, we've processed all of our information. We've created a giant inbox. They're separated into projects. And now I'm narrowing them down to context so my list can go from 300 actions to four based on where my mindset is or where I am physically as far as the location. But I need to make sure that I keep up with this and it keeps working because I know that's a huge stumbling block and it's actually one of my largest stumbling blocks is that you keep this up so well, but then life does get overwhelming. And then all of a sudden you come back a week later when you haven't been in your task manager of choice. And all of a sudden there's a lot of red flags, a lot of red circles, whatever, however your system works, you're like, oh my God, like now even this has become overwhelming. So talk a little bit about the review process and how to manage that and maybe how often you should do it to really kind of keep the process moving smoothly. Well, your last question, simple answer, as often as you need to, to have a clear head. So there have been times when I had to do what we call a weekly review called look through every one of my lists, look through every single thing I might should be doing two or three times a day in order to stay afloat, given how fast things were changing, new opportunities and challenges showing up literally by the hour. So, but for the most part, you just need to have some regular um, interval where you sit down and pull up the rear guard. Everybody listening to this has had stuff happen in the last, you know, two, three, four, five days that actually represent something that they're committed to finish that's going to take more than one action to finish it, but they haven't had time to sit down and actually think about what exactly that is, what's the project, and what's the next action. They just know they have it. So the, the truth is, it's like, it's like the challenge is, when are you going to do that? 
when are you going to hold the world back for at least an hour or two and catch up with all that new stuff? The problem is as soon as your system gets out of date, as you said, with all those red flags and all those things and whatever, then some part of you says, oh my God, it's out of date. It's going to be too much trouble to, to keep it up. I can't trust the system anyway because it's out of date. I'll go back to my head. So you fall off the wagon. So pretty easy to fall off the wagon. Good news is it's pretty easy to get back on. You just implement the process again. Hey, wait a minute, just sit down, you know, hold the, you know, close the door, <laughs> hold the world back, empty your head, go through all your stuff and catch it up. So it's not a big rocket science event to catch up, but it certainly is a huge habit to build in. Uh, you know, to be able to do that regularly and consistently to keep everything current. Yeah, and really making it a habit is key. And I think, like you said, when you fall off the wagon, everybody's going to fall off the wagon. And that's the difference between having a program and having a system. If you have a program, I use P90X as an example a lot. And I love P90X and I love Tony Horton. When you define your success in the program by completion over a period of 90 days, when you're on day 17 and you're exhausted and you quit and you're like, oh, I missed that day. Oh, man, well, now it's P94X if I keep going. I quit. I give up. I'm done. But GTD isn't a program. It's a system. So yeah, you fall off the wagon. You're like, all right, well, I wake up the next morning and where do I go? I go to step one. So that can be really, really powerful and liberating, I believe. We use the image in our trainings of the surfer, you know, surfing a big wave, uh, you know, and mind like water. Sometimes water feels like that. Some huge waves, lots of foam, lots of whatever going on. But it's cool if you have a board to be able to surf the wave on, which GTD can provide. It's a way to surf on top of your game. However, what's going to happen to every good surfer, no matter what? They're going to fall off. But you'll notice, you know, most every surfer has something called an, an ankle tether, right? This little strap around their ankle that's tied to this little rubber thing that's tied to the board. Why do they have an ankle tether? So they can get back on really easy. Guess what? The more you can trust you have an ankle tether, the bigger ways you'll be willing to surf. So what you just described is once you understand the system and understand the systematic approach and you built that into knowing how to do that, it'll let you take bigger risks and let you throw yourself. As a matter of fact, if you're not falling off your game you know, fairly regularly, you may not be playing a big enough game. So it's not about always being in some sartorial, you know, meditative state. Oh, heavens no, come on. It's, it's really about just being able to recognize when I'm on and when I'm off. And when recognizing when you're off, how to get back on very fast. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to this idea of the, the martial arts and kind of the, the zen-like state, a, a saying that I don't even know who to attribute it to. Maybe you do. It's a fairly common saying. But if you're afraid of something, you need to run towards it as fast as possible because that's where growth happens. So if your GTD system is super easy to manage and you don't have a lot going on and you know, you're keeping up with everything – Maybe it's time to, you know, take some bigger risks in your life and go after things that are a little bit more intimidating because once the system is there, you can scale it. So like kind of going back to the review conversation for a second, for me in general, I'll probably do a review every two weeks if life is fairly status quo. If things are crazy, I'll either do one of two extremes. One is I'll do the review process more often, but sometimes I'll actually do it less often because I'm just focused on one project and I say, all right, I know that if I escape the outside world for three weeks, let me look at the list first. Do I have any urgent bills? Do I have any urgent meetings? Whatever it is. Okay, you know what? I'm just going to completely ignore the system and only focus on one project, but then I come back and the system is there. So I love the, the ankle tether. I had never heard that uh, analogy before, but that's the perfect analogy for just knowing that it's always going to be there. You fall off or you choose to jump off, the tether is there and you can always get back on. So that, that's the beauty of having that system. Well, Zach, you actually described the system. The system is not just the physical system with the content in it. The system is the behavior you have in engaging with it. So the system is the, that you've got. So that's the whole idea is, is building in a, an approach that says, I can trust. Most people feel best about their professional work about a week before they go on a big holiday. Why is that? Well, what do you think they're doing? A week before you go on a big holiday, you're checking all your stuff. Will this wait? Will this wait? No, that won't wait. I have to handle that. Whatever. Basically, you get your life in order so that you can go play golf or surf or, or swim or, or you know ski or whatever the hell you do when you're going on a vacation. But the reason you have nothing on your mind is because you actually manage systematically to renegotiate all your agreements with yourself and everybody else so you can be clear. I just suggest you do it weekly, not yearly. Yeah, I, that's a fantastic analogy that I think really hits the point home of, oh yeah, I've, I've been through that, of course. Like For a week I feel totally liberated because I know everything's taken care of and I can walk away. But you can do that every Sunday night and feel that way for the following week. 
Exactly. And then you don't feel like you always need a vacation. Like I like vacations as much as anybody else, but because the amount of information coming in and the amount of things I need to do don't become overwhelming, I don't feel that sense of, oh my God, I have to escape. I'm totally burned out. I'm overwhelmed and I just need to get away. That doesn't happen once you start to develop this system. Mm -hmm. Now that I we've really talked about the system in depth and people kind of get a sense of here's the workflow. Now I do want to get into the tech just a little bit. And again, I want to emphasize before we do that, this system can be done with post-its and pencils. Like, so it's not about the tech, but there have been so many developments specifically around the system, not just in task management and to-do lists in general, but entire apps or programs that have driven their entire business philosophy towards serving the GTD community. So can you talk about some of the things that you've kind of gravitated towards that really understand the system well and implement it well in their tech? Frankly, that, Zach, they're all just list managers because once people caught this, they say, all I need are lists. And they just have multiple different kinds of bells and whistles they built into list managers. So if you wanted to use things that are less complex than, than OmniFocus you know, in the iOS platform, but they're all just the same thing. Frankly, there was no better list manager than the Palm Pilot. So, you know, <laughs> too bad it went away because it was so easy to use. It was so simple. So all these things are simply list managers. That's all they are. Now, you know, when you get into Azana, when you get into other things where, you know, people are, and even, you know, business Evernote where people can actually share lists, yeah, kind of you, you, you sort of add to the complexity and the confusion because now you have multiple people that have to then you know, agree to their own heuristics about how they're supposed to manage these and what goes on these lists and who needs to see them and why. But for the most part, for people just personally, God, you know, there's, there's a new one showing up every week. That's why in my new edition of the book, I unhooked from even mentioning a whole lot of software because it's changing so rapidly. And there, there really is no difference in the, in the ultimate way between what all these tools are other than the complexity. So you've obviously driven into OmniFocus because it, it allows you to do that and create some some levels of sophistication that other programs won't let you do. But it, as you know, it took took you a while to figure that out and, and how to and how to work it. So, but it, so software is great as long as you have the. It, it, once you get this, once you get the the GTD methodology, you can make anything work. If you don't have it, you're just going to keep buying software, trying to make the software make it work. And you're screwed. Yeah, and I'm very glad that you brought that up. And I had a feeling that that was going to be your answer because I really want to emphasize again that it's not about the technology. Like if you're listening and thinking, oh, where's the GTD app? There isn't one because it's not tech. It's not a list builder. It is a mindset and it's a system for processing this information. So I wanted to make sure and really emphasize that. And I think that anybody that's listened to my show in the past has been scratching their head for the last five minutes saying, why in the world have you not mentioned Trello yet? Because I am a huge proponent of Trello. I live my entire life in it. I've taught an entire course on lynda.com all about how to use Trello. But when it comes specifically to individual task management, I like OmniFocus because of my ability to manage multiple projects across multiple contexts and by simply clicking one little tiny icon, have it tell me this is the only thing you have to focus on right now, all of which can be done in Trello, but I actually believe it's more complicated. So I have kind of a hybrid version of OmniFocus and Trello when it comes to managing projects. And OmniFocus is not something you can do with teams. You can't like share an OmniFocus list or collaborate. So if you're thinking, well, how do I manage this with people? OmniFocus is not going to do it. But to me, OmniFocus is kind of been like my personal assistant, like, just tell me what I need to do today. Okay, thank you, OmniFocus. Now I know what I need to do today because I can't afford a personal assistant. Um, so that is why I haven't mentioned Trello for everybody that's like, where in the world does Trello fit in? I personally like OmniFocus for personal task management and then for team communication and task management. Trello is what I personally use and teach, but you know, Asana is another one, Basecamp is another one. Like it's, again, it's just not, it's not about the tools, it's about how you use them. That's right. So that being the case, um, given that we are both into productivity, I want to make sure that I am respectful of your time. And I want to make sure that, you know, I'm not going to be taking away any of the precious time that you would need to do to enact all of your, your lists and projects and to-dos. But if there were one takeaway, somebody listens to this and they hear all this information and they say, this sounds great and there's so much to do. Just give me one thing to get started. What's the action step to get people moving right after they get off this, uh, right after they're done listening to this conversation? Well, the basic truth is your head's for having ideas, but not for holding them. So... 
Get rid of stuff in your head. Write it down. Throw it in front of you. Make next action decisions about every one of those things and then watch what happens. So if people want to go deeper, they're sold on this idea, they wanna learn more about GTD, they wanna get your book and they wanna learn more about you, I wanna make sure I'm sending everybody to the right place to get things done. So how do we do that? Well, gettingthingsdone.com, pretty easy place to start. And my book is wherever books are sold. And the new edition of Getting Things Done is worth a read or two or three or four or five. Yes. And I cannot emphasize that enough because clearly I'm a believer. Um, and one thing that I've actually done, and I, I don't worry, I'm not going to trademark this or anything, but I've actually created my GSD system, which is my getting done system. Um, so that that's actually the calendar that I have in uh, in my, my calendar app is Zach GSD. So I've just kind of repurposed it and given it a little bit of a bit of a bit of attitude, <laughs> but don't worry, I won't take any credit from you. Um, so, so that having been said, this has been a tremendous pleasure having you on the show. I'm glad we could finally make this happen. And I wish you the best in everything that you are currently pursuing. Thanks, Zach. My pleasure. It was fun. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I wanna make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even gonna send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.